Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, let's look at a phrase Jesus used to describe himself, one that is often just glossed over. I'm talking about the phrase, the Son of Man. People often assume Jesus using that phrase to describe himself is just saying, I'm a person. I'm a human being. Well, why, why would he do that? People knew he was a human being. As a matter of fact, that was the obvious way that he looked to, to everyone. The phrase son of man is the way Jesus most often described himself. In Matthew, son of man occurs 30 times. In Mark, 15 times. In Luke, 25 times. And in John, about a dozen times. It always, except once, is from the mouth of Jesus himself. This is the way he's describing himself. If Jesus is just trying to say he's a human being, why would he even use the phrase? That would be a little bit like saying, whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Just one of the guys or just a person? Why would he even need to say that? The implication is that he's trying to say something more. Take a look at Mark chapter 2, verse 28, where Jesus says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That sounds like a little bit more than just an idea of a human being. So let's take a peek at where this phrase, Son of Man, comes from in some of the various ways that it is used. It's true that in many places in Scripture, it is used for the equivalent of a man or a human being. In Psalms 8, verse 4, you've got this beautiful phrase, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? That's generally believed by scholars to describe twice the same idea that God pays attention to humans. And that's probably right. But there are other passages in the Old Testament, and even in Psalms. So let's start with Psalm 80, verse 17, where you have this idea that a person is actually more than an ordinary person. You might say in the same way in the vernacular that a hero is more than just an ordinary person or 
a leader is more than an ordinary person, or if you're Catholic, that the Pope is more than an ordinary Catholic, or if you're a Latter-day Saint, that the presidency of the church or its president or the apostles or are, are more than just ordinary members of the church. They have special calling, special duties, special abilities. That is the belief. So let's take a look with that in mind. What Psalm 80, verse 17 says, Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand. So this is talking about a request by the psalmist that God's hand or God's help be upon somebody who's standing at God's right hand, a designation for somebody who has the approval and help of God. Quote, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. Close quote. This to the ancient Jews was an appeal during times of great tribulation, national decline, and difficulties. This was a reference to a hero from God who was to come to redeem Israel. And I'm using this word hero in kind of an unusual way. This was the Messiah. He was the hero sent by God to save the Jews. It's pretty unlikely, if you keep this idea in mind, that Jesus was saying I'm the son of man, and he was just talking about himself as a person. Instead, it's likely that Jesus was calling attention to the fact that he was this person mentioned in Psalm 80, verse 17, the Messiah, the saving person, the son of man, who was a physical embodiment of God on earth, designated to save mankind. There's a book of the Old Testament in which the phrase Son of Man occurs 90 times. This is Ezekiel, and it designates the prophet himself. He has a special mission, but Ezekiel is just a person. But in that context, we have a different meaning for the phrase Son of Man. It's talking about a person, Ezekiel. In Psalm 80, verse 17, it's talking about a supernatural person or a person with supernatural abilities, perhaps might be a better way to say it, designated by God. Let's take a look at some other examples of this. In Daniel 8, verse 17, it says... So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was affrighted and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man. Words then following intended to raise the spirit of the trembling spirit of God. So that's one idea of where Jesus got this phrase from, but I'm just not buying it. Take, take a look at different ways that this phrase was used in the book of Daniel itself 
that give it a loftier, more important meaning. Take a look at Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Quote, I saw in the night vision and beheld there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man. And he came even to the ancient of days and they brought him near before me. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Close quote. Now, that's pretty incredible. That's more than just an ordinary person. That is Messiah wording. Compare those words in Daniel with what Jesus says about himself. Quote, Henceforth ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Close quote. That's from Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, during his trial right before his crucifixion. This is a clear reference to the Messiah in Daniel. It can't be overlooked as an accident. When we come back from the other side of our break, more about the Son of Man phrase and how It was used by Jesus. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you have a question or comment about this show or any other show, send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com, and I will be happy to respond. And if you happen to have a question of any other nature about religion, I'll respond to it, and if I don't know the answer, I will track it down. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and Get ready, because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. The premise of the discussion so far is that the Son of Man, as used by Jesus to describe himself, meant much more than. I'm a person. It was actually a description that he used 
to tell people who were willing to listen that he was the promised Messiah. Let's take a look at some other sources for that idea. And then time permitting, maybe we'll talk a bit about um, the Septuagint and the use of the Son of Man phrase in the Septuagint. So when we took our break, I had just quoted from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus' own words from his trial, quote, Henceforth ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, close quote. Matthew 26, verse 64, a clear reference to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and verse 14, references to the Messiah that just can't be mistaken. Equally impressive and distinct, I think, is in the great discourse that we had in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, where, and remember Matthew 24, this is the one about the end times and and so forth and the destruction of the temple. Jesus makes this comment, quote, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Again, or close quote, again, a clear reference to something beyond just a person. This Son of Man idea expressed here by Jesus himself, referring to himself, can be a reference to nothing other than he is the Messiah. There are a number of other works in addition to the New Testament that talk about the idea of the Messiah. And we'll get into a few of those in in a bit. But before we do that, keep in mind that these references show that Jesus understood his calling and was clearly calling attention to it to everyone who would listen. Another example, Matthew 25, verse 31, quote, But when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the angels with him, then he shall sit on the throne of his glory, close quote sounds very much more than just like a person, once again. Son of Man coming in glory with angels and sitting on a heavenly throne. In the book of Enoch, the Son of Man, or one like unto a Son of Man, which could say something like one like unto the Messiah mentioned in Daniel, is primarily someone who saves the Hebrew people, saves the Jewish people. And Jesus must have seen himself and understood the book of Enoch as also a a description of his calling as, as Savior. So 
Let's talk a bit more about why Jesus would would use the title. First of all, he's describing his callings and the thing that he would do because the title and calling of the Messiah, the Son of Man, was known once he designated himself by that title, people would know what he intended to do. One of the other points about that is that as we read in the book of Revelation, the early Christians as well as the Jews, although they did not accept Jesus as the Christ, would have understood that the Messiah to come the first time for the Jews or the second time, if you were a Christian, was going to do a number of things, among which were to right all the wrongs that had happened to the Jews, to establish the kingdom of God on earth, and also to right all the wrongs that had happened. This was something Jesus was going to do at his second coming, and people would understand that who knew about the Son of Man. This idea of Son of Man definitely expressed Messiahship. One of the other reasons Jesus probably used the phrase is that it could be used in other contexts, like with Ezekiel, as I mentioned earlier, to just refer to someone who is a person. In other words, this was a little bit like the use of a parable. Those who had ears to hear and eyes to see would understand the meaning of a parable, and those who didn't would not grasp it and would not be condemned for their lack of understanding of it. This is a similar context for the Son of Man phrase. So he is revealing who he is with a phrase that would be understood by those who grasp its real meaning and misunderstood by those who are not familiar with the great calling of the Messiah or the Son of Man. So by using that expression, he was able to draw attention to himself for those who understood that calling, but not for those who did not understand it. There are a couple of other Son of Man New Testament references that I wanted to mention. In John chapter 12, verse 34, someone asks Jesus, who is the Son of Man? And, well, let's let's go through a few verses here. John chapter 12, let's start at verse 30 and go through 34. And Jesus answers and, and says, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He's talking to himself talking about himself as the prince of the world who will be cast out. And then he goes on to say, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die from. And then the people said, and this shows their knowledge of the Son of Man, 
Look at verse 34 of John chapter 12. The people answered him, we have heard about the law that Christ, the Messiah, abideth forever. In other words, the Son of Man abideth forever. And so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up and die by crucifixion? So who really is the Son of Man? So the people knew who the Son of Man was, and they were saying, well, Jesus, you're, you're not quite fitting in with what my understanding of it is. And Jesus goes on to explain who he is and that he really is the Son of Man and that they've misunderstood it and that, yes, he will reign forever, but being lifted up on the cross is part of that calling which they have misunderstood. This is a fascinating phrase and one that has great meaning and deep meaning if you understand that Jesus is telling in slightly veiled ways that he is, in truth, the chosen Messiah. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.